Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt and welcome to the latest in our series of spoilers special podcasts dedicated to the new Star Wars live action TV show, The Mandalorian. Oh, this one is dedicated to chapter four of The Mandalorian, the episode called simply Sanctuary. No definite article this week. And of course, it marks the directorial debut of one Bryce Dallas Howard. And joining me to discuss this episode, as ever, are three of the finest spotchka drinkers around. I call them the Magnificent Three. Helen O'Hara. Hello. Ben Travis. Hello. And James Dyer. Hi. And uh, before we get into it, before I, I, I recount the a brief synopsis of this episode, um, as ever, we're recording this on Squadcast, uh, which allows us to each pick a username before we start the show. Uh, and I just want to take you through the names that are the, the guys have chosen this week. Uh, ben has plumped for Baby Yoda's Lil Soup. Oh my god, we've seen the soup memes for months and months and now we finally see Baby Yoda drinking the little bone broth and it was cute as heck, it was great. <laughs> Very hungry Baby Yoda, he um, he tries to he eat is. an awful lot in this episode, but then it does span weeks as we will discuss later on. Mm-hmm. Uh, James has plumped for Dune, you would not be surprised to know, but with a Cara in brackets in front of it. Yes. I wanted to put Denny Villeneuve's brackets Cara Dune, but unfortunately, <laughs> the character limit wouldn't allow it. <laughs> please, please further Fair explain enough. this. So Cara is the Gina Carano character? Yes, Cara then- Dune. Her full name is Cara Dune. Her full name is Cara Dune. Yes. But you've just you've just separated <laughs> so out the I Dune parenthesized part. The, I can't believe okay. I had to deconstruct this joke. <laughs> I parenthesized the Cara, so it just says Dune. But the implication is it is both the Denny Villeneuve film and Cara Dune, the character from the Mandalorian. Right, because I'm not sure we learn her surname in this episode. So I mm. understood that you were like Cara, but then also just because it's you, Dune. <gasps> you are such a noob. Okay, I am. I am. I mean, yeah, in fairness, it's not unreasonable to think that people's names might be mentioned at some point on the show if you're then going to assume that everyone knows them, James. I mean, we should just be thankful she has a name because most of the characters in this show don't. That is also true. They have names, we're just not well, told them. Not all of them do. Not all of them do. Except for Werner Herzog, who is just Werner Herzog. Yes, Werner Herzog I mean, that- as himself. Yes. <laughs> and, Grand introducing- Herzog. <laughs> and introducing Werner Herzog as himself. <laughs> Uh, and last, but oh, hang on, I haven't even done my name yet. But uh, last but not least, in terms of the other guys in the podcast, Helen has gone not Mandalorian specific. She has no. gone Star Wars general. Mm-hmm. And I mean general because you have named yourself General Leia. Damn Is this right. because you're dead inside? <gasps> too soon? Was that too soon? Way it was too, too soon. soon. It? it will that always too be too soon. It's completely too soon. It couldn't be too sooner. She's um, one with the force, Helen. She's one with the force. She is one with the force and the force is with her. But um, but no, you know, I may as well go for my favourite sometimes. So, hey. <laughs> Salacious crumb presumably was taken. So, <laughs> Ew, that's your favourite, you weirdo. <laughs> Chris, you will be unsurprised to hear, has picked IG69. Well, I'm continuing my theme of uh, bounty hunter names and, uh, and and mixing it up a little bit. And I've gone for the sexiest bounty hunter in the known galaxy, IG69. Nice. <laughs> he can sort out trouble at both ends, if you know what I mean. I think you'll find the sexiest bounty hunter is Zuckas, except it's pronounced <laughs> slightly differently in his native tongue. <laughs> we have to get these two guys together <laughs> to form some kind of bounty hunter centipede. I think that would be extraordinarily dangerous. <laughs> we don't do need their scum. Do you want a piece of uh, Star Wars toy trivia that you may already know? That Zakas and Forlom had uh, had name switches on the original sort of Kenner toys, uh, where obviously they'd been given the names wrongly. So Zakas was given the android's name and because he's the little bug bug alien and uh and the android was called zuckus there you go that's a fact not a great fact but it is a fact <laughs> actually you know what if you had brought it into the regular podcast and uh as part ah. of the fact me till i fart section you might have won can we rename that section it cannot be called that it's upsetting and crass as indeed are you but uh nevertheless <laughs> Uh, I'm willing to take uh, suggestions for the name, but uh, as things stand, it even has a theme tune, James, so what can you do? 
What can you do? Anyway, if you want to hear that section, listen to the regular podcast every Friday. But for now, we shall get into the episode. Episode 4, Sanctuary. Sorry, Chapter 4, Sanctuary. Written, of course, once again by John Favreau, who wrote every single episode of Season 1. I don't know whether he's continued that with Season 2, but I, I kind of hope so, just for continuity. And uh, That would be very, very nice. The idea that it's one person's vision. Just like the original Star Wars. That's kind of cool. Uh, directed by Bryce Dallas Howard, um, who, of course, has seen many directors at work. Not least, of course, her dad growing up. Uh, Ron Howard, in case you didn't know. And, of course, her uncle Clint, who is the real power in that family, as we know. I'm surprised he didn't pop up in this episode, if I'm, if I'm honest with you. Um, anyway, a brief synopsis before we discuss. So... Uh, we open the episode, the first time we've opened a Mandalorian episode, not with Mando. Um, correct me if I'm wrong in that one. This is the first time we've even really kind of cut away from Mando, as far as I can tell. There's a couple, there's a scene in the last episode where you see uh, Grief Karga and all the other bounty hunters getting the, you know, their, their tracking fobs go off. Otherwise, this is the first major part of sustained action away from the main characters. So we're on a planet called Sorgan, and... Uh, a group of farming people are attacked by bandits. Oh no! Oh, no. But luckily they've seen the Seven Samurai and so they know that their best bet is to recruit some local hoodlums to defend them. And uh, luckily, as chance would have it, two of the the galaxy's best warriors have just both independently of each other wound up on this planet because that's where Mando has landed with Baby Yoda and that is where he discovers hiding out in a tavern Cara Dune. Although I, I think James is right, she's never actually named in this episode. But trust me, her name is Cara Dune, played of course by Gina Carano. Uh, and they get together and they teach the villagers how to fight back against the, the evil bandits. And uh, meanwhile, Mando begins to form a relationship with a hot widow called Omera, who, um, well, she touches his helmet, folks. Oh there God. is there is a bit, there's, there's a lot. She tries to pull Mando's helmet right off. Um, and we'll discuss that as the episode goes on. So, they fight back. They beat the bandits, including a scout walker. And then Mando goes, No, lady, I don't want you to touch my helmet. Uh, off I pop. Not in a Good Lord. sexy way. But uh, I, have to, I have to go. So he takes Baby Yoda and off they go. Also, Baby Yoda drinks the soup. Well, that's yeah, the soup. and he eats the frog. <laughs> he eats the frog. He spits the frog back up. He does he also eat the little shrimp. The soup moment is amazing because it's not just like it's cute soup. It's proper like watching watching something fascinating, drinking a cup of coffee meme. It's just it's brilliant. I love it, and it's a great moment. <laughs> yeah, he's amazing, and his his little game he's playing with all the little kids, where they're basically just putting jumping squid around a uh, shrimp around him, so he can chase one after the other. It's adorable. This really predicted the whole thing of just kids everywhere are absolutely obsessed with Baby Yoda in the universe, out of the universe. If you if you saw Baby Yoda, you just want to play with him. And she's just like, can I feed him? Can I play with him? I was like, same. The entire episode, I was absolutely walking on eggshells uh, vis-a-vis Baby Yoda because they were just treating him like he's a toy. He's, he's not older toy. than Mando. He's older than, well, yeah, he probably is. He's 50, older than Mando. 50 years he's, old. He's, <laughs> well, we haven't seen Mando's face yet. You know, we know true. he's played by Pedro Pascal. He may not look like Pedro Pascal. He may look like you know, you? Kirk Douglas Werner or something. <laughs> he may be Werner Herzog. We don't know. But I was just like, I was on tenterhooks the entire time because, yes, he's not a toy. He's a very expensive puppet uh, for, for the most part. Don't stand on him. Don't mm. take him into situations where people could fall over on on him I just oh god I just have visions of him being accidentally squished which would be a real downer a few moments in this episode we see the rare CG baby Yoda which I must admit isn't as good like you don't see too much of it but there are a few moments like when he's coming out of the razor crest where you're like oh that's not proper baby Yoda that's fake baby Yoda <laughs> well when he's walking and stuff yeah well and some of the walking stuff some is puppeteering walking, yeah. but, uh, is but yeah you, you can tell the ones where it's where it's CG because he's, he's not quite as, as huggable He's still pretty huggable. I'd hug the shit out of Baby Yoda. Um, But the puppets, the puppets, incredible. It's absolutely amazing. Apparently, it cost. uh, This is a rumor I read online. It cost five million dollars. What the puppet worth every penny? Yeah. Are are there hairs on his head like individually placed by like nuns somewhere? Like, how is this? Yeah, probably. That's how they they usually do it. Actually, it's how they usually do it. Not not so much with nuns. Not nuns necessarily. No. I don't speculate about their sex lives. Yeah. (laughs) 
for trying to get all the baby Yoda obsession out in just the first few minutes so we can sort of discuss everything else. Because we um, have the meme in the, this one. The other meme, the cockpit mm, meme is also, it's also this Yes, one, pressing which, all the buttons. Yeah, pressing the buttons and turning on the thing, which is giving <laughs> rise music. to so many different versions. <laughs> Although watching this now, like it felt weird not to, ha- not to have toss a coin to your Witcher come on during yeah. that particular <laughs> sequence. I'm like, it's become synonymous with it to me. You have that moment as well. And I love, um, I think one of the benefits of the puppet is that you have all these lovely shots where the sun like shines through baby Yoda's ears. He's got yes. like sort of semi-transparent ears and they sort of glow <laughs> like pinky green. These are the things that I get caught up with while I'm watching this. And then I'm like, I haven't been listening to what they've been saying for the last Flapping minute. ears. Now we've got glowing ears. Oh. Like what's going to happen with his ears next week? We'll find Yoda with tiny headphones. <laughs> and it is technically impressive because, you know, you can't hide sort of wires in see-through ears quite as easily, but point. they're still very exp- expressive and, and very moving, as it were. Literally, Literally moving rather than, yeah. Why are we all pretending that we, you know, think Baby Yoda's a puppet? I mean, we know they you have know a, real. a real space alien. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's why they had to send Mando in real life to go and get him, and then they just filmed that and they turned it into a show. <laughs> that's precisely it. It's kind of like what the Joe Exotic reality show would have been had it made it to air. <laughs> Baby Yoda King. Murder, yeah, mayhem Yoda. and madness. <laughs> Rancor King. That's what I want to say. Oh, God, no. Baby Yoda what? as Baby Exotic. No, what if he Baby takes Yoda off his mask? petted by everyone. <laughs> what if he takes off his mask and he looks exactly like Joe Exotic? What then, Helen? That would be really disturbing. That'd be very, very disturbing. Then the Star Wars Galaxy's uh, Carol Baskin had better watch out because <laughs> she's got a new enemy in town. But yes, Baby Yoda. Um, he's very, very cool. Are we exhausted of Baby Yoda chat? Is there any more Baby Yoda chat? Oh, I mean, this whole thing could become Baby Yoda chat. Yeah. <laughs> I love the bit where um, Mando tells him over and over again, stay in the cockpit, just stay put, just stay here. I'm going to get help. I'm going to come back. You just stay here. Next shot, you know, the door of the Razor Crest is opening and there he is just standing next to him, ready to go. It's... It's it sets the tone for their relationship. I feel like, and it's a very cute tone. <laughs> and he, he's struggling this week because in last week's episode, um, the little crib got destroyed. So mm. hopefully, one of the remaining four episodes is him just having to find another crib or receptacle <laughs> for Baby Yoda, so that he can just plonk him in there. He's got nothing to plonk him into now because he used to just pick it up by the scruff of the neck, shove him back in the crib, and then be able to get on with stuff. And he can't do that anymore. It's true. Yeah. It's such an interesting relationship. Uh, I, I also have to say that at the end, whenever I knew he wasn't going to get killed, obviously, but at the end, whenever the uh, the evil bounty hunter has him in his sights, I was like, no! no! I just had visions of Baby Yoda's head exploding in a shower of green goo. Ew. That's not nice. Nobody no. wants that. Does he have green blood? Do we know that? I hope we never find out. Yeah. <laughs> if Werner Herzog gets his hands on him again, then we think we, think we will. Um <laughs> But yes, so but this episode is also interesting for a, a number of reasons. As I said, it's uh, it's the first one to really properly cut away from Mando to establish this settlement on Sorgan, and it's also the first one. I feel not that this is a middling episode. It's a it's a oh, it's a decent episode. It's fine, but it's also the first one that feels a bit like a TV show what? to me. It surprised me that you said this. When you were like, oh, God, like chapter four. I was like, I really like chapter four. I was like, I don't know why you don't like it. It's really good. I think, I think it's a bit sort of, you know, mission of the week in, in a sort of yeah, Stargate so. sense a little bit, like SG-1 where they go in and there's a mm. village being threatened by raiders. That happens Loving all the, the time. Um, or, or Star Trek. I mean, let's be honest, or Westerns. Like, this is a classic thing where we yeah. have um, uh, a village under siege from... You know, not even like big bag bad bandits, really. Just some bandits, just some bad guys. So two exceptionally trained people are able to kind of take them on and, and figure out a way to stop them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, to it me, is- it felt very, um, it felt very Firefly in that sense. To me, that was the thing that immediately mm-hmm. sprang to mind. Where it's yeah, half sci-fi, half western. They reach a new settlement that's sort of it's spacey, but it's kind of low-key, rural, and then they the sort of yeah heroes your anti-heroes come mm. in and save the mm. day and they're tempted into staying behind and leading the good life and they're like no we've got to go back to space and do some more smuggling and all that kind of stuff <laughs> it, it could 100 percent be from any 
any science fiction show, Stargate, Firefly, Farscape. In fact, the uh, the uh, the Clatoonians in this look a lot like the Tavleks from season one of, oh, uh, of Farscape. So there you go. <laughs> so you'd be forgiven for making that mistake. Great. But it's, it's also a classic sci-fi sort of serious thing to take a sort of standalone episode and kind of base it on a movie, whether it be Seven... seven this is the mag- Magnificent Two, essentially, isn't it, really? Mm. So, um, And yeah, I think that's maybe why I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it as a standalone typey thing. I thought it was quite well put together. I think some of the uh, emotional beats maybe ring a little unconvincing. Um, certainly the romance was... Yeah, a thing that happens. But, uh, but yeah, I thought it was loads of fun. I like that it was Bryce Dallas Howard doing it. I love that there's a moment in it which feels a lot like a riff on her running from the T-Rex and her high heels, except it's a shock trooper running away from an ATSD, which is quite fun. Um, yeah, no, I, I had fun with this. I, fi- I find what's what the main thing that sticks out for me in this is that I can't ever forget is, obviously, this was the controversial episode where it came out that um, Pedro Pascal was not available for filming. So he was doing stuff on stage, so he is at no point in the armour in this episode. So yeah. that's, that, it's a, it's a really, that's a really weird thing when you watch it, because you're so used to imagining him under there it isn't him. It's as we talked about last week. It's a succession of different different stunt people in this, and he just did the voiceover for it. Uh, I have to say, I don't think much was lost on the performance. No oh, disrespect to Pedro, that's... but the guys did a very good job. Maybe that's why he didn't take the helmet off. Yeah, that's like, right. Don't, not this week. It's not me. <laughs> like, no, hang on. That's John Wayne's grandson. That's not Pedro Pascal at all. Uh, although, because he does, he does take his helmet off, though, doesn't he? Off screen, so you see him lay mm. it down. Well, actually, that really annoyed me a little bit because he's standing by an open window where you can yeah. clearly see everyone playing down below. If they looked, they would totally see him and his oath would be for nothing just because of where he chose to eat lunch. Like it's it's a mad decision on his part. If, if, he, if it is a holy creed for him that no one can see his face without the helmet, then dude is playing with his life. Mm. I mean, this is crazy. This, this does present significant dining obstacles to him, doesn't it? Because like he's offered like soup or whatever it is in the bar and obviously he says no because he'd have to take his helmet off. So presumably there's no Nando's for Mando, you know. You oh, know no, a, cheeky, a cheeky Mando's. A cheeky Mando's. <laughs> Like these things are off the table because he can't take his fucking helmet off unless there's some kind of like best car straw that he can kind of mm. stick up the front of his helmet, like a like a little Pfizer or something that he just pulls yeah. across at the, at the front of his helmet just to, re- to reveal his mouth. Um, you were so desperate surely... to say Mando Nando, weren't you? <laughs> Weirdly, I had that. That just kind of came up at the time. I was mainly just thinking about Nando's because I'm desperate for one. But uh, oh know. my god, I think Nando's may be the thing I miss most. Oh good lord! <laughs> although, although my local Sainsbury's does the Nando's peri peri hummus with the little stuff that you can put in, and that that has been my happy place recently. <laughs> What's what, what, what do we what do we miss most apart from human contact? Um, uh, do we, I, I miss I miss football. I miss Nando's. I miss cinema, then mm. human contact. <laughs> yeah. I mean, honestly, way down. at this point, if a ship came down and a guy in steel armor with a chicken head came and they said, I am the Nandalorian and I brought you some peri-peri goodness to your door, I would bow down and praise him. How long can COVID-19 stay on Beskar Steel? Is it like three days? It's a good question. I think it's up to 72 hours. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. got to be <laughs> yeah. careful with that. Um, I think for me, it's, it's coffee. It's like coffee shop coffee. Coffee shops. Coffee and a muffin in the morning is what I'm missing. So that you can Christ. drink it like Baby Yoda. <laughs> yeah, so I sit here like this with a little straw. Yes. Ben, I'd like a ben, latte with a frog in it, please. Ben has broken up all sorts of arguments in the Empire office just by doing that. Just by, you know, everyone's having a little <laughs> argument and then Ben's just standing there with his little cup of spotchka that he got from the Fendi machine down the ground floor. <laughs> Sunlight shining we all through his <laughs> yeah, Ben is actually a really expensive puppet. Did you know this? <laughs> yeah, ben, ben actually cost, and I don't know if you guys can believe this, he cost £55 uh, and he looks Whoa. really great. It's available in a couple of months from uh, from Disney shops near you. Uh, probably <laughs> delays like everything else at the moment. So um, before we get back into the episode, um, as, you, as you can tell, I might be reluctant to discuss this one this <laughs> week. But, uh, <laughs> um do we have any Baby Yoda merchandise? Are we ordering any Baby Yoda merchandise? What's, what's the deal? There is some available. Um, mm. They were like, oh, yeah, we're going to send some to your office. I'm like, no, that doesn't help me. <laughs> send it to me. But they haven't. Presumably when I we get back t-shirt. to civilization. Are you wearing it now? Or is that something No, I've got, I've, I've got a Darth Vader oh, one on Vader, yes. at the moment. Okay. Um, in fact, my, quite literally, it's in the wash. So I will wear it next week. I'll okay. wear my Baby Yoda Good t-shirt. Stuff. 
All right, yeah. excellent, excellent. Yeah, I'm thinking about maybe getting some Lego just to, to while away the hours uh, that I don't actually have because we're working flat out at the moment. I know. But when, when we do have some hours, I may either get a keyboard or some Lego. But anyway, back to the episode, back to the episode. And I think one of the reasons that this episode didn't really work for me, uh, as well as the previous episodes, uh, is because it does feel a bit like an episode of the week. And listen, as you guys know, I love... TV shows that are procedurals, uh, I will eat that shit up all day long. <laughs> but this season has so far been about the larger story, and this felt like just a little chance for everybody to take a breather. I'm sure there are very interesting and important developments that happen or that are seeded in this episode. Uh, I'm sure this is not the last time. <laughs> this is interesting. Just quick aside, this is the last episode that I have actually seen. Uh, so, <laughs> um, so uh, as of next week, I am in an uncharted territory. So this could be very, very interesting. You're on the outer um, rim. <laughs> very much so. So I'm sure we will see Gina Carano again as, as Cara Dune, and I'm sure she will be very important as things go on. Um, but it doesn't feel like the main plot of the show was advanced much this week. It, it, it feels a lot bigger than a Adventure of the Week episode you get in any other show. Like in any other sci-fi series, this would be at least a mid-season finale or something right at the end of the season where yeah. it's like they've gone big, they've got the ATST, you've got a raid on a village with sort of loads of extras. Um, so it, even if it feels like a slightly different tack from the last few weeks, it still doesn't feel like sort of small screen TV mm. to me at the moment. I agree, actually. I, I really like the ATST stuff and mm. um, and the fact that you do need a breather sometimes and you do need to kind of step away from from the kind of arc episodes if you like just because otherwise the only other alternative i think is to keep introducing complications which end up just getting wearisome so i'm, I'm kind of i'm kind of okay with them occasionally sort of stepping back and, and essentially having a week off and also i think what this does which is quite important is kind of show you or confirm for for us and for mando himself um that he's made this choice, that he's going to keep making this choice, that he's going to keep protecting the child, um, and that there isn't a, an easy way to do that. They can't just lay low and wait for this all to blow over in the Winchester. They have to actually go out and do something to do that. So it, it's kind of important in bringing him to that realisation, I think. Mm. It's not going to be as easy as just, you know, sitting this out. There's, there's no, no way to sit it out because apparently, we were discussing this last week, Whatever it is that they're tracking cannot be removed, I guess, from Baby Yoda. Or certainly he doesn't have the equipment. See, this is a question that I have. And my question is this. First of all, at the very beginning, he's like, nobody's going to find us here. And it's like, but th we've established the tracking fobs are a thing. They may look like, you know, security tags from Topshop, but apparently they're a genuine threat. And it's like he's cunningly forgotten about this at the beginning. Yeah, I don't know how the... I mean, I we, we kind of... We're left conveniently unclear on how those work, let's be honest, because they're clearly interstellar in range. They may take a little bit of time for signals to travel, but they must be interstellar. We've got no idea what they're attached to and why you can't remove it, but there must be something, right? It can't just be coded to your DNA and there's a satellite orbiting every planet that reads everybody's DNA three times a day. Like, how does it work? It doesn't make any sense. I don't understand. I know how it works. Oh. 5G. Yeah. Oh, of course. Oh, well, yeah. yeah. That's how they get you. Yeah. And that's 5G. how they keep finding him because Huawei are telling them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, the lizard overlords that run the galaxy who have installed 5G in the Star Wars universe. To they give tell, everyone coronavirus. Yes. They tell yeah. the bounty hunters where to find the baby Yoda. Good Lord. Wow. <laughs> I think I got it, guys. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, sorry. Just having a nice bowl of 5G. Mm, 5G. Um, yeah, it's interesting. At the, at, the end of the, at the end of the episode when the bounty hunter appears, I think Helen might be onto something. Maybe it's, maybe it's just a random thing. Maybe you could be flying past a planet and the, the tracking fob will go beep, beep, beep. Beep, beep, beep. Oh, hang on. There's something down here. What is it? Oh, it's the it's the really expensive one that uh, will give me all the best car steel I can eat. Fantastic. Yes, please. And so the, this bounty hunter appears and it answers a question I had from last week, which was that at the end of the show last week, the mark kind of became Mando, at least. That's why I 
as I read the uh, the events of the, of the episode, that he had betrayed the Bounty Hunters Guild, he had betrayed the Bounty Hunters Code, and therefore he was the one targeted for death or destruction. And in this episode, it makes it clear that it's still Baby Yoda who's the target. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they and they still want to kill him. I mean, that Bounty Hunter wanted to kill him. Uh, surely that's going to... Whatever Ferner Herzog wants to extract from the little guy must clearly live on for a little bit after death. That's interesting. Mm. Yeah, well, Herzog in the very first episode was a little bit like dead or alive. He didn't really care. It was the scientist who was pushing for alive. So Dead or alive, you're coming with me. (laughs) (laughs) So maybe he's not so concerned about finding out whatever it is that makes Baby Yoda tick as he is about controlling him, possibly. Or taking him off the board. Or taking him off the board, yeah. As he will almost certainly be by the time Rise of Skywalker comes around, mm. as we've already no. discussed. He's busy elsewhere. He's on a farm with Steve and Bucky, okay? It's fine. <laughs> and I was right about that, so optimism is sometimes okay. <laughs> sometimes. 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 Uh, but yeah, but you, it's a good point, because I'd, I'd assumed what you said about earlier about the fob. I'd assumed that everyone was after Mando now, but it does seem, certainly the guy at the end, that he is after Baby Yoda, because I thought, you know, you cross the bounty hunters, you're fucked. Like, you'll get zuckassed in the outer rim. Like, that's, they're not messing about. <laughs> but apparently they are still just after Baby Yoda. Like, that's the, uh, that's the goal. Maybe it's just so that the, um, the the money is with Baby Yoda. The the sort of getting Mando is like... He, payback. It's a, yeah, it's payback. It's revenge. Whereas presumably Werner Herzog is now paying other people, probably with more Beskar steel or something that other people want, um, mm. to get Baby Yoda back. So maybe it's just a sort of distinction of, of what people are trying to get out of that situation. He's a, just a horrible bounty hunter who will be coming to get Baby Yoda. Are other people paid in Beskar Steel, or is that something that Mando in particular asks for? I think it's a Mando thing. Yeah, because he knows that's what will get the Mandalorian, you know, all warm and fuzzy. Do you? Because I think the Beskar Steel is incredibly valuable. That's why Grief Karga is very, very excited that he's given two bars of Mm, Beskar Steel. Mm. Um, I I get the impression that it's just a very, very um, scarce commodity in this universe. I think it's clearly valuable. I just wonder if everybody asks for that as their sort of negotiable. Do you know what I mean? Or if there's a kind of equivalent of gold press latinum that they can uh, <laughs> use instead. That's a Star Trek reference, by the way. Just sorry. Okay. Uh, latinum, of course, the being the only thing that you cannot reproduce in a replicator, thus giving it value in a in a, in a society of surplus. That's it. <laughs> I, I've, I've done a face so many times in this episode. <laughs> I really have. Speaking of points of pedantry, I have another one for you all. So oh, we've all agreed that the Scout Walker is an ATST, an all-terrain scout transport. So where do each of you stand on the other one, the other type of walker? How would you say the other type of walker? Because I've always called it an ATAT because it's a fucking ATAT. Yet, if, to be consistent, if it's an ATST, then that would be an ATAT, but that just sounds shit. Isn't that an I, all-terrain armoured transport? Yes, but how do you say it? Do you spell it out phonetically, or do you say it like an acronym? Well, no, you, you say it because it lends itself to being said. It's mm. at at. Although I don't know that I've ever heard it on a live action. I'm sure no. that you know because I haven't seen all the Clone Wars. I don't and think stuff. it's. I don't think it's ever been said. So someone might actually be able to tell me that they do say it in one of the animated shows, but certainly in the live action ones, no one actually says at at or, to the best of my knowledge, at at. Um, yeah, they call them walkers, but, and the Imperial walkers are just walkers. Mm. That's precisely what. Yeah, that's precisely it. But at at it just lends itself. But if you if you it would be what at st or at, at saint. Yeah, that would be rubbish. But it's like do you at do street? one as an acronym and the other one phonetically? At at just sounds like the Martians in Mars Attacks talking. Ack, but at uh, <laughs> And they said we'd run out of things to talk about in the lockdown. Uh, so, but yes, the uh, I, I'm still going to call it the ATST, or or should we just call it a Scout Walker? Should we just do that? It's just sure. nice the and Walker. Scott Walker. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's Scott Walker. What was he? Was he? He was the Righteous Brothers, wasn't he? He wasn't a Texas Ranger. <laughs> so they're attacked by the late great Scott Walker, uh, who who crooned him to death. Yeah, I, I thought this was really interesting. This is the first time I think we've ever seen one of these things actually look menacing. And I quite liked the way that uh, Bryce Dallas Howard and the uh, the episode's cinematographer, Baz Edoyan, I'm sure I pronounced that name badly, uh, I like the way they frame it with the evil red mm. eyes. Yeah, it has yeah. Like yeah. a little light a, in the a monster. Mm. It's nice, because yeah. we've never seen one at night before, have we? So it's like, of course they'd have a light on inside, and yes, it would be a sinister red light. 
<laughs> it also felt a little bit like they'd kind of jury rigged it a little bit and sort of um, they you know they'd messed with it they they'd mm. taken it from the imperials and and sort of tried to fix it up as best they could and it wasn't working 100% which I thought worked really well and, and well it didn't work really well but you know what I mean yeah. story-wise it worked really well but, but speaking of like you know our two heroes the master tacticians that they are they invade the Clatoonian base and they, they mess around with some tanks and plant explosive and beat up a few guys to get their attention why didn't you I don't know blow up the fucking walker <laughs> you know if you're going to go in while they're unawares and sabotage something do that <laughs> honestly do I have to think about Everything. I was trying to figure out were the tanks like batteries for the walker. Well, they. I thought they were krill tanks. I think I thought they I were the tanks so, yeah. of the little shrimp things that they've been nicking off the villagers. Yeah, because so they were just making those up. I don't know. It's unclear. I don't know what their strategy was. <laughs> they seem to just be going there to like tweak the tiger's tail to get their attention to get them to come back and attack the village so that they could you know have at them. But it, I mean, it was flawed. Put it that way. Mm. So the raiders, they just wanted to create vast amounts of krill soup. Why is this episode so soup centric? It's very soup centric. It's all <laughs> they wanted a chowder. <laughs> Look, if if you've over ordered vegetables, you've got a vegetable box delivered. You know, you've got to use it up. It's it's irresponsible to cause food waste in these times, and clearly they're just being thoughtful citizens. How do you not have Carl Weathers' character in this episode? You know, going a little bit of a little bit of skrill, little bit of little bit of sesame seed, <laughs> little bit of vegetables, baby. You got a spotchka going. I mean, like. <laughs> How do you miss that open goal? Also, you've, you've made me now think of this incredible side gag where um, Cara Dune and Mando go to the, what are they called? The the evil baddies? What are they called, Jimbo? Oh, the Clatoonians. The Clatoonians, oh. where they go to, oh, as, are they kind of like Clatoon, Barada, Nikto, like those guys? Is no, I don't think, uh, that's a good point, actually, yeah, because they're, they're the sort of, they're weak way aliens. Um, okay, uh, they I are a weak way. I, I'm, I'm going to find out because you've, you've got me, you've got me curious now. All right. I mean, they're well, literally I, um, they're literally the Uruk High, aren't they? They are, That's the first <laughs> thing I thought. It's like, okay, we've got, we've got a bit of Middle Earth going on in our Star War now. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, they, they, got, they remind me of the, the you know, sort of Jabba's Jabba has uh, henchmen and, and bounty hunters like this in his palace in Return of the Jedi. So hmm. technically, Ben, technically, okay. Uh, but I, I have this image of them going to the Clatoonians base and going, "Where's the Walker? We can't find the Walker." And this massive Walker is behind him under a tarpaulin. <laughs> the, the, the two fucking geniuses who <laughs> who anchor this episode can't can't figure it out. Um, hey, anyway. everybody has an off day. All right. In case you're wondering, <laughs> according to Wikipedia, canonically, Clatoonians were a species native to the planet. It's Clatooine, who often worked as henchmen and bounty hunters. Castas, don't know who that is, was a Clatoonian. Um, And it says, distinguishing features, imposing brows, toothy underbites. There you go. (laughs) And uh, yes, it seems that uh, Barada, at least, was a Clatoonian. Ah, Barada, yes. Clatu Barada Niktu. Because uh, Niktu, uh, anyway, we'll get, we'll get into it another time. But uh, yeah, I, so they they implement their plan, their incredible plan, and they, they save the day. And um, that action sequence where the things attacking them at night, um, I know they only had a few days to train the farmers, but my God, they're morons. <laughs> so when they're sweeping the light over them, uh, mm. And everyone's kind of just freezes, going, if I just freeze in light, then they can't see me. That's how it works, right? It's, you have... it's, like, it's like Tyrannosaurus Rexes, you see. Ah, the vision's based on movement. Vision's, ba- the movement. vision's yeah. based on movement. Uh, but you have Pillboy from The Good Place acting like an absolute idiot. And again, he just does, he doesn't do a long, involved handshake with anybody. So again, a missed <laughs> open goal. I was so distracted this whole episode. Like, who is that guy? Why do I recognize this guy who's trying to hire Mando? And then when I realized at the end that it was Pillboy from The Good Place, it was absolutely <laughs> yeah. amazing. Uh, do you think they've got a, uh, a Jason Mendoza in the, in the clan as well? I bet they all seem to be Jason Mendoza. The guy who hired None Mando. of them were very clever. <laughs> yeah, the guy who hired yeah. him felt very much like Jason Mendoza. <laughs> yeah. This is clearly Space Florida. I mean, it's a swampy, <laughs> low-lying area with lots of lakes. Yeah. Swamp, Everglade. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely, 100%. <laughs> that training sequence as well. I, I was just waiting for somebody to start going, let's get down to business to, <laughs> to defeat, defeat the Huns. When they're all trying to jab with the sticks. It's like it was a pure Mulan, I'll make a man out of you montage moment. It really was. It's like, we've got 24 hours to make men out of all of you backwards space people. Yeah, yeah I was thinking of that too. 
This is, uh, yeah, but this is such, as we discussed earlier on, this is such a, a Seven Samurai riff. I mean, obviously, Magnificent Seven, but that's a Seven Samurai riff. Uh, obviously, Battle Beyond the Stars, but that's a Magnificent Seven riff, which yeah. is a Seven Samurai riff. Um, uh, but it's, it's not it's not A Bug's Life, and it's not Three Amigos, and it's not Galaxy Quest, in that they're not hired under false pretenses. They're not pretended to be something that they're not. These are actually badasses, so therefore it's kind of more the original stuff. But uh, Seven Samurai, I know, is a big touchstone for John Favreau. Uh, he picked it as his classic scene in Empire about a year and a half ago. He picked one of the early scenes from that film, um, and he absolutely loves Kurosawa. And uh, as did Lucas, of course, as we all know, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there, without, without Kurosawa, there is no Star Wars in the first place. So 100%. in a weird way, it's all coming very full circle here. Could I also say I very much enjoyed Cara Dune's look. I think she looks like an, a proper badass in this. I've never heard of a rebel shock trooper, but I like them. Uh, she's got a bit of a Gears of War thing going on as well, which I think is a, which is a nice yeah. little aesthetic. I also quite like the way the villagers all wear a combination of sort of... <laughs> Grey and blue knitwear seems to be the uniform for every single villager because it's very homogenous. They all look the same in this thing. Uh, and yeah, it's very woolly. I would imagine that the theory is that they are using krill dye. Yes, because it's all blue. Oh, good. Yes. All See, Helen, you've done proper research into the ecosystem of this village. <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> what like it is. like they yes. do in Florida. They're using krill dye to do their clothes. <laughs> do you not think it's over krill? Hey. Oh. Uh, if you eat or drink the the luminous krill, what happens on the other end? Oh God! <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to say, I'm just going to say, you know, these these Clatoonians had, you know, they they've got balls to attack a whole village of natural born krillers. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> do you, I do have a comment on on Ben's point though. Did you know? I read somewhere that in the U.S. Civil War, some soldiers' wounds glowed blue because there's some kind of bacteria actually healing bacteria that glowed slightly blue um in certain lights i guess not all the time and uh, and those were tended to be the guys that survived weirdly but they would have blue blue light glowing from their wounds which is well they were blue bloods (laughs) oh god Certainly blue. Kill me now. Which do you think has the best theme tune, Blue Bloods or Without a Trace? Funnily enough, which TV show has the best theme tune was the question on this week's Pilot TV podcast. So that was uh, very, very active. How did you not invite me, the doyen of TV theme tunes, to come on and discuss that? Well, let's do it now. What would have been your choice? Sports Night. Oh, good Lord. Well, Mandalorian is very high Sports Night. Mandalorian's very high up. Angel is a favourite of mine. Yes, I really like the Angel theme. For overall I mean, soundtrack, for overall soundtrack, um, Battlestar Galactica, yeah. I think it's just unbelievably it's great. Absolutely amazing. Yes, but as Ben, yeah, Buffy was brought up, Terry brought up Buffy. She also brought up raccoons as well, which I thought was a slightly left field choice, but sure. Yeah. Hmm. That's fine. Muppet Babies. Muppet Babies. Cagney and Lacey. I mean, there's yeah. just, there's... There's no end to the great theme tunes. Uh, I'm glad to see theme tunes coming back a little bit over the last few years. There's still some, there's still some pretty good ones. You know, as the, the aforementioned Battlestar Galactica, Game of Thrones, 30 Rock, this one. There's some good theme tunes out there, guys. Thanks. Anyway, another little detour there. Um, what were we talking about? We were talking about uh, the farmers, which leads us neatly on to Omera. And the mm. central romance. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the minute she sees Mando, she wants to grab that helmet. And who can blame her, quite frankly? Uh, and He's a fine figure of a man. How does she Indeed. know? She doesn't even see a, like a scrap of him. No, but like you can tell from shoulder shape and height. I mean, you can't because it's not even Pedro Pascal. She'd be like, hang on a minute, you're not the person I thought you'd be. I didn't say face. I said figure. <laughs> Chances are he's going to be a looker, right? And, and frankly, her choices are a man whose face she has never seen or Pillboy from The Good Place. And in those circumstances, and I, I say this with all the love in the world for Pillboy, but you're going to go for the helmet. Yeah. Yeah, he's a, he's a MILF Mandalorian she'd like to... Uh... <laughs> oh, yes, he is indeed. Very good. <laughs> 
but the thing is, like that whole thing, it just didn't. I, I mean, I get that the the time frame of this episode is a little bit woolly, and that uh, like mm. it, we are supposed to. They've been there for a while. I don't know if it's weeks or months, but they have been there a long time. But it's not as if, and I know it's hard to express chemistry through, you know inches of Beskar steel but uh, I'd never really I didn't feel it it just it didn't ring true for me that's the only part of the episode that I think clunked and when he lets her sort of you know seize the girth of his helmet and start to Good lift Lord. it off his head uh, I, I, obviously he stops her but I felt a bit like no just no that was unearned like, like he's going to give up his entire way um, for Krill is she a Krillf? <laughs> I don't know how that doesn't work. Move on. No, yeah, no. I just I think it's not that bad actually. Just because, I mean, we've just had an entire reality TV show which was massively popular around the world, based on people dating having never seen each other's faces. Is that the one where they look at their willies first? um, Is that? Am I thinking of a different one? Think You're thinking of be. Naked Attraction. That's the one, yes. I'm thinking of Love is Blind. Ah, okay. Because the they yeah. could mix those two shows up together. It might be interesting. Good Lord. Anyway, my point being, apparently one of those marriages is still going a year later. So anything is possible in an infinite universe. Um, and so, it, you know, if a hunky, presumably, stranger came to town, then maybe she would. I mean, like you say, the alternatives are pill boys. So, so Helen... You're saying that if a hunky man walked in right now, you'd grab his helmet? I'm saying, well, obviously I'd maintain two metres distance, Chris, like any responsible citizen would at this time. <laughs> um, however, all being well, you know, tests having been taken for coronavirus, mm-hmm. I mean, sure. Well, listen, if you can grab someone's helmet when they're standing six feet away, then you're doing very well. <laughs> <laughs> Good Lord. <laughs> I mean, that's that's that's... In that's biologically impossible. Good. I mean, anyway, um, that would be good lord. Yeah, I, I, my oh, arms are not that long, so <laughs> makes the mind boggle and the eyes fair water. Um, but anyway, I didn't. I I I didn't buy the central romance of this episode. Um, I think this is one of the few times in, in the, that it's been to the show's detriment that its leading man is entirely encased in armour and, of course, as James has pointed out, isn't actually played by the leading man <laughs> in this episode. And I do feel that maybe having someone who can properly act in the armour this week might have meant that, you know, just little bits of body language, little bits of movement, little bits of something indicating that he was being charmed and being thawed by Omera. But, you know, hey-ho, it's fine. I also think that this is a 41-minute episode, and this is one of the few that could have stood to have an extra 10 minutes or so, maybe just in that central relationship, just so we feel it a little more when when they leave. As it is, the, the main pang I felt at the end was Baby Yoda having to leave all those kids behind. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think... Um you, you just you never really thought that he was ever gonna stay like it didn't even seem like that was part of the whole deal until it was like oh and now i've been here for weeks and i think i'm gonna have to go it's like wait i thought you were only ever sort of stopping by to just wait things out for a little bit and then hop off i didn't uh, there was never any sense that that was part of what he could get from this place is somewhere to stay forever and a lovely wife who only mm. ever has krill boy to Get her attention. (laughs) Eugene Cordero is Krill Boy. But yeah, I think mainly it was about, I think he realised that this was a place for Baby Yoda to stay. And uh, and he gave it weeks, maybe, to see whether anyone was following them. And then, of course, coincidentally, at the exact moment he decides to scarp her, uh, along comes the Kubatsi Bounty Hunter, apparently. I've just looked that up. The Kubatsi Bounty Hunter to uh, to spoil the whole thing and get the the main plot back into into action. Um, one last thing we should we discuss um, is that last week we had a question from a listener, and we will get some questions very quickly from listeners. One thing, we had a question last week from a listener who um, bemoaned the fact that the show hasn't passed a Bechdel test yet and uh, that there have been very, very few female characters. Um, that is rectified to an extent this week. Still doesn't pass the Bechdel test, I think, because I don't think Cara June and Amira have no. much of a conversation. Or if they do, I think it's pretty much about Mando and his incredible helmet. So I don't think it passes that test yet. But obviously this show has been acing the representation on the other side of the camera. This is the second episode in a row to be directed by a woman. And we have finally female characters in this episode. 
Yeah, which is good because, you know, we have no reason to believe that the Star Wars universe is biologically very different to ours and that women are therefore less than half the the human and other related races in it. So, you know, that's good. It's a start. Um, who knows? Maybe they'll actually interact next time. I think there might, we might possibly pass Bechdel here in that... Omira talks to her daughter at one point. I think it's literally a "Can I go outside?" Huh. Yes, that works. That but totally technically, works. that would be a, that would be. Although I think she might be asking, "Can she take Baby Yoda with her?" Who is male? Huh. So then that wouldn't. But, but anyway, we came close. Isn't Bechdel test the when they're talking about the principal male? No. No. Uh, let's talk about Cara Dune a little bit more than we have because um, uh, we're going to see her again. Uh, so Gina Carano is someone who I think who's deserved a a bigger career than she has. You know, she's terrific in Steven Soderbergh's Haywire, but since then it's really just been mm. punchy, punchy, yeah, just, punchy roles. Yeah, supporting hench person roles, really, isn't it? And she can be really, really charming as she is here. I think because um, I think there's a there's a nice kind of level of banter that uh, develops pretty quickly between her and Mando, um, where they sort of you know recognize once they've had their quick fight, recognised that they're not actually a threat to each other, then they pretty instantly kind of bond and, and get along with each other, and I quite enjoyed that. Yeah, they, that scene they have together in the um, in the bar is really great as well. Like, I, I really like the perspective that character brings in sort of just fleshing out this world of her story, what she was doing in the years after the um, after the Empire fell. You get some really nice bits of information through her story. I'd like to see more of her story, the way that if we now are introducing bits of other perspectives, like the very start of this episode does, I'd love to see part of her story of, of what happened between the fall of the empire and now even just those mentions of endor it, it ties in everything really nicely i think um and it definitely feels just like an introduction from her like surely she'll be back surely she'll cross paths with uh, with mando again mm. um so i'm excited for whenever that is so just a couple of questions then from from listeners so we have the first question is basically from two different listeners um, but they have both asking essentially the same question. So there's at SI underscore J underscore King who comments, I was extremely impressed with how the ATST or the at synth uh, held real threat and menace. They were comedy objects crushed by teddies in Return of the Jedi. Not here. I loved it. And uh, at King Go Lanaramus <laughs> uh, also asks, how did you feel about the rehabilitation of the reputation of the chicken walker? Without lightsabers or small mammals with big logs, it suddenly becomes a deadly presence. I want to say something here for the Ewoks, because I maintain that the Ewoks are not as bad as people like to say. And the fact is, it took a whole team of them and quite large scale traps to bring down the walk, the ATSTs or whatever we're, call, we're calling them in, in Jedi. And that's okay. And they're meant to represent the small guy fighting against the big Imperial force. So that's what they're there for. They're literally a Vietnam metaphor. So, you know, it's okay that they were brought down by teddy bears because you know that's that's the point of the film anyway it's fine but i'm just like I, I like all of these people who say they didn't love the ewoks when they were five and saw return of the jedi originally like i have just no time for I'm that as you know. i'm very pro ewok love them everybody then, love them everybody now. loved the ewoks when they were little so Same. don't revise it now just because you're trying to be cool but that said, yes, I like that they were scary this time. And I think probably a team of Ewoks probably does equal two highly trained mercenaries, really, doesn't it? So that's kind of an equal swap in this case. Yeah. Lay off the, the Ewoks, only, you bastards. Yeah. The only thing I was not so sold on with the ATST this week was, um, like, the, it felt sentient. It didn't feel like somebody was driving it. That shot where it gets right up to the edge of the trap and it almost puts his foot in and then it sort of retracts the foot. It's like, ooh, nope. And there was something about the movements of it that didn't feel like a mechanical thing that somebody was driving. I know that's such a nitpick, but it did stand out to me while I was watching it. But do you not think that's deliberate? Yeah. I feel like that's deliberate to give it more personality Absolutely. and give it more menace Because you never see itself. who's driving it. Also, that's that's very reminiscent of Ed Two and Nine on the stairs yeah, in Robocop, yeah. <laughs> and it's it's gingerly dipping its its toe down the stairs and then decides to give it a go and then fucks it up monumentally. <laughs> uh, 
It is interesting. We never we never cut to the cockpit. We never see who's who's piloting this thing. It might be Chewbacca, for all we know. <laughs> this could be the same uh, Scout Walker that he commandeers at the end of Return of the Jedi. So <laughs> I hope he's okay. There is a moment in the in the sort of canteen at the start where there is a sort of background noise and it sounds like somebody says Chewbacca, and it's obviously just a similar sounding word. But anyway, my ears pricked up. I don't, I don't know if anyone else heard that. Interesting. Very interesting. Two very very quick comments in from uh, uh, listeners. This isn't this this is genuinely this isn't a question. This is a comment uh, from La, at La Gentile Donna who says I don't really know what this chapter is about. My ears were totally occupied by my awes watching Baby Yoda walking and doing things, and I loved it. I mean Aww. that's fair. I really liked Baby Yoda walking out of the ship. The shot from behind where he's doing a little little waddle. Because he's floated this whole time, so we haven't seen him. We've seen lots of cute head movements and hand movements, but we haven't seen him sort of... Ambulate. Just, like, wiggling along. Yeah. And then the final question comes from at Gambit181, Remy LeBeau, <laughs> on Twitter. Uh, I felt that Omero was a fine addition this week, and we should give a shout-out to the actress Julia Jones, who plays her. Uh, do you think she could be the Peggy to Mando Steve? Someone to show him <laughs> that there is a life beyond Mandalorianine. <laughs> A great word. Yes. Yes, they come back at the end of the series. We see him go back to that planet and somebody plays It's Been a Long, Long Time. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> Should we talk about portals? I really want to talk about portals. portals. But yes, yes. Uh, I don't know. I wonder. Honestly, guys, I thought he had way more chemistry with Cara Dune. I don't know. It's just, maybe it was no, just I me. Think, I think Cara Dune, it's more that friendship chemistry. Like we talked about this when we talked about Winter Soldier, I think, and that, that relationship between um, Cap and, and Black Widow and that. It's, it, there's something nice about seeing just colleagues of opposite sexes just working well together and getting along well, because we don't see it enough in cinema and we see it all the freaking time in real life. I mean, look at all of us guys, you know, isn't it? Oh, but at the same time, Helen, we've also seen this quite a lot. Uh, mainly in movies, it has to be said, of the incredibly hot people who are perfect for each other. And they have this animal chemistry. And, you know, maybe they bicker a little bit, maybe they banter a little bit, and then suddenly they're going at it hot and heavy. And we have that shot where the camera pans across the bedroom floor as they're divesting themselves of their clothes. And I can see this happening with Mando and Cara Dune. And the, the soundtrack to that is basically just lots of clangs and bangs as he's, <laughs> as he's shedding all this heavy metallic armor. Bang, bang, bang. Nice But helmet. enough about your slash fiction, Chris. <laughs> Listen, I've got to occupy myself somehow. I finally decided to write a Dune bit of fan fiction. It just was the wrong Dune. But what, what can you do? Uh, anyway, that is it, I think, for this week's dissection of The Mandalorian. Once again, we, are, we have clocked in longer than the actual episode that we have discussed. Uh, I can only apologize. And we're almost certainly going to do that next week when we'll be discussing Chapter 5, The Gunslinger. Interesting. Ooh. It's the long-awaited Dark Tower crossover. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I am absolutely here for that. In that case, shouldn't the Hunchback of Notre Dame have been in this one? <laughs> Sanctuary! <laughs> uh, so this, that's written and directed by Dave Filoni and, and Peeps. It's only 30 minutes long. Blessed relief. Blessed relief. Not that I'm, you know, I just like TV shows that are not hugely long. Uh, so 30 minutes, that's, that's really, really great. I look forward to seeing that. Um, but until we meet again, until a auspicious occasion. Until then, it is goodbye from Baby Yoda's Lil Soup. Goodbye. It is goodbye from brackets, Kara, close brackets, Dune. Clartoonian Barada Nictu. <laughs> it is goodbye from General Leia. I have spoken. <laughs> and it's goodbye from me. IG69. Uh, I'm off to eat a whole shitload of krill and see if my poop turns blue. This is the way. <laughs> Thanks for listening. See you next time. Bye. 